she just left, and uh, she's leading the children, of which I wish I was doing, because uh, I love teaching Sunday school. My wife and I taught for several years, let me just fix this, for, um, at the church that we attend, and um, you know, children, uh, when you teach them about Bible stories, you teach them the truth from God's word, they have very few filters that they have to process things through. And they readily accept what God's word says. But unfortunately, as we grow older, those filters in the adults increase more and more. And as I share with people about Christ and what he's done for us, uh, there are many questions that come up. And what's amazing is how God explained to people that in order to come to him, you must come to him like a child. Accept, believe, and have faith in the work that he has done for us. Um, I was asked to share a little bit about uh, what I do. And actually, it's not just what I do. It's Kim and I. We both do. Uh, we've been married for 30, almost 34 years. Um, this is one problem that I have had throughout marriage. Whenever I get you know, halfway through the year of how long we've been married, I always up the year. And um, several years ago, we were celebrating our 30th anniversary. And uh, we were in Zambia uh, visiting a missionary couple with our organization. We decided to go over to Zimbabwe and go to Victoria Falls, which was right. I mean, it was just a, literally a taxi cab drive away. And we celebrated our 30th birthday. Several months later, we were sitting with our neighbors when we were living in France. And uh, he was mentioning how his son had just, was just about to turn 30. And he mentioned the year, which was the year that we got married. And I said, no, no, he's, he's, he's not 30 yet, you know. And I said, he must be, you know, so-and-so. And he said, no, no, I, he's, he's 30. And I said, well, and then I got my calculator out and put uh, the date that we were married, um, unless the 2000, whatever it was. And I thought, oh my gosh, we celebrated our 30th anniversary um, on our 29th year. And so we don't know how long we had been one year ahead of this. And so now what I do is I always use my calculator to determine how long we've been married. And Kim always looks at me and she says, no, do not push it up one year because it messes things up. Anyway, I'm going off on a rabbit trail there, which I shouldn't do. Um, so what do we do? I'm the vice president of our organization, which we have you know, a couple hundred missionaries throughout the, the world, one being Lee and Christian and Kyleen. And um, uh, part of my job is to visit them, along with we have seven field directors in each continent throughout the world that also helps and, and ministers to them and, and shepherds them. And so uh, we were going to India uh, 
But then, you know, it's about a t- almost a 20-hour flight, not counting layovers and such from California, where we now live. And, uh, and then after that, we were going to go from K- India to the Congo, the d- uh, Democratic Republic of the Congo. And, uh, and that's another 20 hours. And Kim said, you know, I do not want to be in the, aerop- in the airplane for 40 hours within a one-week period. And I said, Kim, you are a missionary. You need to suffer a little. You know, no, I'm not kidding. I didn't say that. But uh, I said, you're right. That's something that we're going to do. So we decided, let's go to Denmark. And then from Denmark, we can, we're going to France. From France, we're going to Guinea. From Guinea, we're then going to the Democratic Republic of Congo. And one way... And the easiest way to get into that country, which is somewhat difficult to get a visa in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, um, is you have to go through a park to see the gorillas. And so you pay a fee to get in from Rwanda to cross the border to see the gorillas. And then they give you a visa right then and there to get into the country. So then we're going to see the gorillas. And then we go and visit our missionaries. So that's, uh, if you ever need to go there, I can show you how to get there. Um, so this is what we do. We travel a lot. We've lived in Europe for about 15 years, half of our life, half of, half of our marriage, I should say, prior to me becoming a full-time Christian worker, I should say, a missionary. Uh, I used to design and build custom homes in Los Angeles. And um, I was just about to go down another rabbit trail, but I won't do that. My wife said, stay on track, Greg, because you have jet lag right now, and I can go all over the place. So anyway, but it's good to be here. It's awesome that um, I had the opportunity to read scripture from Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10. It's great to see Lee here, the founder of Kononia. Is that right? You're the founder? Yeah, oh, Lee's very, very humble here. And um, anyway, we, we love, this is my third time here in Albert. Uh, uh, and, and the second time that I've, I think I've, I, I've preached before, yeah. And uh, I believe the first time I came, were you, we meeting here? Or was it? Okay. Good, all right. That's what I thought, but uh, last time I know that we were here. And um, so it's good to be here and good to see you all. And uh, so we've, uh, we started ministry in New York City, and from New York City, then we moved to Budapest, Hungary, and then from Budapest, Hungary, back to California, uh, still in ministry, then from California to France, France to California, France to the Netherlands, then to... France, back to France, and uh, now we're back in California. Uh, what happened is that we were heading back to France, but then uh, at the first lockdown in France when we were living there, we thought, okay, let's go back for six months, and then COVID just continued on and on and on. And uh, I'm glad we're, that's in the past, and now we're meeting together without any masks or things and so forth. So Praise God. Um, let's go open your Bibles and um, to Matthew 28. 
This way, <laughs> I'm sorry. Here, you go up for it, okay. The resurrection, Matthew 28, verses one through 10. Which says, now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat upon it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. And as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your word, Lord, which helps us understand you, to know you personally, to experience you daily. We praise you for the opportunity that you give us daily to go into your word not just your word, but to go into the holy of holies because of the work that you did on the cross for us. And we praise you for that. Lord, we give you this time to your glory, your praise for the expansion of your kingdom in Jesus' name. Amen. So as has been mentioned, we are celebrating today one of three of the greatest events in the last 2,000 years. The first being that God came to earth. 100% man and 100% God, born from a virgin Mary. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, she was impregnated, she gave birth in the humblest of circumstances. It was an innocent baby God. That was the first of the greatest events over almost over 2,000 years ago. The second was that Jesus voluntarily, uh, resolutely went to the cross to take on all of our sins pay the penalty that we deserve and died 
Literally, he says that he gave up his spirit after shouting out, God, why have you forsaken me? And then it says he gave up his spirit. So it wasn't the Jewish people who killed him. It wasn't the Romans who nailed him to the cross. It was God who voluntarily gave up, who died for us. And at that moment, he said the earth shook and everything went dark. And then in the Holy of Holies, the temple, where God resided, it said the curtain that separated man from God, that protected man from God, ripped wide open, which signifies that now we have, we can go to God and have a personal relationship with him. Prior to that, within the temple, there's one barrier after another barrier after another barrier after another barrier. And only once a year was man allowed to go into the Holy of Holies. And when he did, he had to have all his sins confessed. He had bells on, the, on his robe so they could hear him moving in case one sin was not confessed because God is light and no darkness dwells. And because we are born into sin, we have this darkness in us. So once a year, man could go in. A rope was tied to one of his ankles in case he were to drop dead and they could pull him out. But now, because of the work that Jesus did on the cross, at any moment, in fact, Jesus encouraged us. He said, pray without ceasing. Continue to go to God in the holy of holies and he will hear you And in his perfect timing, he will answer your prayers according to his perfect will. So three of the greatest events in history in the last 2,000 years. After reading this passage, three questions, life-changing questions came to my mind. The first is, why the death and resurrection of Jesus? What does it mean to be saved? And why did Jesus come? Why the death and resurrection? What does it mean to be saved? And why did Jesus come? Why the death and resurrection of Jesus? As mentioned that Jesus was born of a virgin. By the power of God's spirit, she was impregnated. And Jesus was born never having a relationship with a man. And thus, because of that, he was born sinless. Unlike us. Because we all come from the lineage of Adam. And because of the sin of what Adam and Eve did by disobeying God, that sin nature was passed down from generation to generation all the way down to 2023. We're born into sin. But Jesus was born sinless and thus lived a sinless life, fulfilling the law of the Old Testament. Never sinning, and thus willingly went to the cross 
to die for our sins, paying the penalty that we deserve because of our sin. He willingly allowed men to mock him, beat him, pulling out his beard and his hair, putting a crown of thorns on his head, and then ultimately nailing him to a cross. And then as he was hanging there on the cross, the religious leaders and others were mocking him, saying, if you are God, why don't you call the angels down or come down? You've done all these miracles. Why can't you save yourself? And little did they know that he was there to save them and to save us from the penalty of sin. And what was that penalty of sin? We go back to Genesis, all the way back to the beginning of time. As I mentioned, Adam and Eve, they were secure in everything they had. God provided everything. He, he created this beautiful, unbelievable garden. We can't even imagine what it was like at that time because there was no sin in the world at that time. He created man and woman in his image. He gave them significance, gave them something to do, to take care, and they had dominion over everything. They were secure in what they did. Totally taken every need they had emotionally, physically, and spiritually. They walked with God every day. And God gave them a commandment. He said, you can do, eat from anything, take care of everything. But one thing you cannot do is eat from this one tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They knew good because they were good, but they didn't know evil. And then one day, Satan came the enemy of God, the father of all lies came. While Adam and Eve were near this tree and Satan took the opportunity to speak to Eve and he said, in essence, is it true that God has restricted you from the delights of this place? This must not be truly someone that is good and kind there must be some mistake, Eve. He must be holding back something from you. And what did Eve do? She looked at the fruit. And in the delight of her eyes, she picked it. And then she ate from it. And then gave it to Adam. And at that moment, Adam had to make a choice to obey the commandment that God had given him and the covering that he had over Eve. He had to make a choice to follow God or, and be separated from Eve for eternity or follow Eve. He made the choice to sin. And immediately, I mean, can you imagine what they felt? Fear gripped them. Despair, worry, anguish, 
bitterness, hatred, all the sin just permeated through their body. And then they went and hid from God as if you could hide from God. And it says in Genesis 3.8, it says, and they heard the sound of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God in the trees of the garden. They hid from God. And God then pronounced the consequence from their sin. They didn't die physically yet, but they died spiritually, separated from that intimate relationship they had with God. The security they had, the significance they had in their lives, their total identity was wrapped up in their relationship with God. Now that was completely cut off, and the consequence where everything was provided for, now they had to provide for themselves. And because of that, sin entered the world. The dominion was handed away from Adam and given over to Satan, who now rules this world. And here we are today, still trying to fill that void in our lives with things that the world says you can find significance in this, you can find security in this, you can find acceptance in this. But ultimately, it's eternal suicide for people who think that from what the world has to offer, that they can find acceptance, significance, and security. And we know this is not true. But daily we're deceived by the enemy. From what he's constantly telling us through the media, through the internet, and all these things. This is where you can find your acceptance, your identity, and who you are. When I used to build custom homes, oh, 30, gosh, a long time ago. And these, and these homes that back then were very expensive in Southern California. And one thing that we knew is that once we so, built a home and sold it to a couple, immediately, a month or two later, they would call and they'd say, you know, we're not happy with this. We'd like to ch- change this. Can you do this or do that? And, and it was constant. Here... From a human perspective, they had everything they wanted, everything they needed, but still, they thought they could find their security and their acceptance and and their significance in this one home. Or a car, or a boat, or whatever it may be. And I came to the realization, I said, you know, Greg, if you continue on doing what you're doing, this is exactly the the pathway that you're going down, trying to find your identity in what the world has to offer. And it's so deceptive. In fact, because Satan deceives us, we don't even know that we're being deceived. But when we read God's word, 
which says it's like, a, it's like the sharpest knife that cuts through all that deception and reveals the truth to us. So God is not indifferent or hostile to us. He's a loving savior to us. In fact, in Revelations twenty-two seventeen, Jesus says, come, let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take water, the water of life without a price. What does that mean, without a price? We can have all these things, the acceptance, the security, and significance without a price. And God and his sovereign, who was mentioned, that when we believe in Jesus as our Lord and Savior and accept the gift that he has given us, it's not that we can work at it. We can't work at it. And I always use this illustration that it's like, you know, with our children on Christmas morning, we have all the presents around the tree and their gifts to them. And they come down never once when they, did they rip it open and say, wait a minute, what, what do I need to do in order to deserve this? I said, no, I'm your loving father. I, this is yours. You, you, you don't have to do anything. It's a gift. And this is exactly what Jesus has done for us on the cross by dying for us. The first question is, you know, why the death and resurrection of Jesus. The first verse that came to my mind is one of the most famous verses in the Bible, John three sixteen, For God so loved you and me. He, he loved the entire human race that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, shall not be eternally separated from God for eternity. <laughs> What does he say? All we do is believe. We believe in him. It's like the, when Jesus was on the cross, there were two criminals on either side mocking him, and then one finally came to the realization. He turned to Jesus and said, remember me. He believed in what Jesus was doing. He said, this man has done nothing. We're the ones that deserve death, not him. He said, Jesus remembered me. Jesus turned to him and said, today you will be in paradise. What did the man do? Did he work for it? No, he couldn't. He didn't do anything. He just believed in Jesus as God the Son. God and his sovereign governance of all things. Jesus' death and announcement was announced actually in Genesis during the consequence that Jesus was announcing to Adam and Eve, he turned to Satan and he said, you will bruise his heel, meaning the crucifixion, but he will crush your head. And Jesus did that when he resurrected from the dead. He gave the fatal blow to Satan. And that was death, eternal separation from God. We all die physically. We all die physically. And when we stand before God, 
It's only through our believing in him. Because once we believe in him, his spirit is imputed to us completely, as was mentioned in the verses, that that old sin nature immediately dies and his righteousness comes in us. In John 3, when Nicodemus went to Jesus and said, what do I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said, you must be born again. Naturally, Nicodemus didn't understand who would. I mean, what do you mean going back to my mother's womb? No. You first are born for water and then you're born by the spirit of God. So once we stand before God, he doesn't look at all the things that we did, the good or bad. The things that we did, our sin was completely washed, past, present, and future. When we come to Christ and believe in him as our Lord and Savior, we're completely cleansed. Jesus sees us no longer as sinners. No longer. Because God's righteousness, his righteousness is in us and we are accepted solely on that because we believed. This was all prophesied many years prior, 700 years before Jesus even born in Isaiah 53. It says that he was despised and rejected by man. He's acquainted with grief. He was pierced for our transgressions in Psalms 22. 490 years prior to his death, he said he was mocked and insulted. Psalms 41, he was betrayed. Isaiah 50, he was spit and struck. What must we do? We believe in order to be saved. What must we do to be saved is to believe in the work that Jesus did on the cross for us. It says in Mark 1.15, the time has been fulfilled. This is Jesus speaking. He said, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in his name. Why repent? Because you cannot go before God with a proud spirit self-righteousness, I can do it attitude. When we come to him like that, what we're saying, what you did on the cross is not good enough, I will do more. No, we come and repent of our sins. We acknowledge that we cannot do it on our own, that we need him. We confess the sin that separates us from him and we believe. In Mark 8, 34 through 37, it says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to be saved will lose it. Who wants, excuse me, who wants, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Denying ourselves, 
it's, that's what it, it's taking up our cross, continually giving up our rights. Our rights to be thanked, our rights for a certain job, our rights to have perfect health, our rights for a large bank account, whatever it means. Daily, we take that cross up and we say, no, I'm going to give up those rights as it says in Psalms chapter 2, that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. He gave up his rights, all his rights as God, to the point of dying on the cross for our sins. We repent, we humble ourselves, and we believe. And then his spirit enters us. His spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, the self-control. It's called all the fruit of God's spirit. How we know that we're changed? Because those things become our daily goal is to experience his righteousness in us and to exhibit the fruit. People will know that we are Christians because of our love for them, the peace that we have, regardless of what circumstances happen, situations happen in life, accidents, poor health, whatever it may be, we have peace because God is in control of everything. Everything. And this is not our kingdom here. Our kingdom is to come. But the kingdom is yet in us because he's on the throne of our life. Not demanding our rights for perfect health or whatever it may be. But we give it over to him. Regardless of what happens, we say, I have peace because God is in control right here and right now. Is it hard? Yes. It's hard for me. That's daily, I'm taking up my cross. This morning I woke up and I said, I oh, can't wait to get a good coffee. It's called the Penny Lane, I said it yesterday. And I heard they have really good coffee there. And then I remember, it's Easter, and I'm like, oh, they're closed. Oh, I, can you imagine? And, and here I am, standing before you, and say, we have to give up right, and I can't even give my rights for a silly, silly cup of coffee. It's taking your cross up daily. Confessing the sin that we have. Appropriating what God has done. Confessing those sins and continuing to move forward in the power of God's spirit. (laughs) Why the death and resurrection of Jesus? Or by (laughs) John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So that when we die and we stand before God, he will see his righteousness in us and he says, come, experience. If we don't believe, we'll have eternal separation from God. Have you ever been angry? Bitter? Frustrated? Can you imagine feeling that, that anguish inside of you for eternity? That's what hell is going to be like without the presence of God, the covering of God daily for eternity. Bitterness, anger, hatred in our lives. But going to heaven 
and it's paradise without any sin, without that feeling at all. What must we do to to be saved is repent and believe. And finally, why did Jesus come? I ask this question to a lot of people. Why did Jesus come? This was answered, actually, back in Matthew 28, which I'm gonna read. It said, the angel came to the women. He said, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He has risen. Just as he said, now come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. He has risen from the dead. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. So the women hurried away from the tomb, yet filled with joy, yet afraid still. And suddenly they met Jesus, and they fell at his feet and worshiped him. Jesus said, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Why did Jesus come? Most people say, well, he came to die on the cross for my sins, and he rose again, thus defeating death, taking the, the sting of death away, so that when I die, I too, through the power of God's spirit, will rise from the dead. Yes, that is true, but that is the means to the end. In fact, this question was asked to Jesus in John 10.10. Why did you come? And Jesus said, the thief, Satan, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. His purpose is to kill you, steal everything from you, and destroy you. But I have come to give you life and give you life abundantly here and now. Jesus came to give us life. We can experience his love, his peace, his patience, his kindness, his goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control right now. At this moment, we experience that for eternity. We die and then we are in heaven with him. Again, not based on anything we've done, solely based on acknowledging the sin that separates us from God and believing in the work that he did for me. I deserve to be on that cross because of my sin. But God, and only God, can do what he did on the cross. No other man could die on the cross, but only God could pay the price for their sins for all of humanity, for those who believe in him. So now as believers in Christ, you are accepted. You are a child of God. What is it? It says, it says that God actually adopts us. What does a child do to be adopted? Nothing. 
He's now an heir to everything the parents have, and likewise, we are children of God. Your identity is as a child of God. You are the temple of God because his spirit no longer resides in the temple, but it resides in you. You are a saint. God sees you as a saint. He sees you without sin. We still have the capacity to sin, but God sees us as a saint, a holy priest, and so on and so on. You're secure. We're under no condemnation anymore. We are, we are assured that everything works for the good, that those who believe in him, and we have significance in him, that we're the salt and light, the platform that God has given us, wherever you are, you are there because God has placed you there. He says you can experience life. There's an acronym for the life, your labor. God, wherever you are in your work, you can be the salt and light in that area. You can be the light that shines in that darkness. Influence, how you can influence people and the gifts that God has given you. Through your finances. Can you, can you imagine? I mean, daily we get things in our mail about how you can invest in this, invest in that, in, in the stock market or whatever it may be, which fluctuates according to whatever. He says you can invest in the kingdom of God and the expansion of it by giving here where neither moth nor rust will destroy it an investment, and then your expertise, the gifts that God's given you to help out the child, worship, going out and telling people about Jesus. This is who you are in Christ. We celebrating God's work here on earth, his birth, his death, and today his resurrection. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, Father, we we praise you for the work that you did for us, Lord. And Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here that has, has not come to the realization that it's their sin that separates them from you. I pray that they would repent of that sin, Lord. In fact, right now you can take this opportunity to say, Lord Jesus, I repent of my sin that has separated me from you. And I believe in the work that you did on the cross which paid the penalty for my sin. And I believe that you rose again from the dead. I believe, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for the work that you've done again, Lord. It's amazing. God, you came here and walked this earth over 2,000 years ago 
He died on the cross and rose again. We have nothing to fear now. For you are in control. We praise you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.